When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal, but it's always beyond reality. Welcome to the program. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thank you for joining us tonight. We've got a special treat tonight because we have a couple of guests for you. In the first part of the show, Mike Apicella will be here. Mike is a musician and a founding member of the band Human Host. He'll explore the connection between the material world and the metaphysical world with his music and his writing. We'll talk to him first. And then in the uh, uh, second part, it'll actually be much uh, earlier than the second part of the show. Um, Mike is only going to be with us, I think, for one segment. But Susan Plunkett will be here. Susan is a writer and a Jungian uh, psychologist. Susan is the author of a new book called Mission from Venus. She'll discuss ETs, Wanderers, Twin Flames, and the Fifth Dimension. Now, her book, Mission from Venus, is technically fiction. However... She says it has been channeled to her from ETs and other guides. And this is a story they want told. So we'll find out why. We'll find out what it's about. And we'll get a lot more information from Susan again. She'll be in um, probably after about 40 minutes into the show or so. Um, Let's see. Coming up, what else do we have? Tomorrow night, Star Cassis will be with us. Mama Star Cassis is a conjure woman and author of Divination Conjure Style. In that book, she explores reading cards, throwing bones, and other forms of household fortune-telling. It's another very interesting discussion. So I've got to say, you know, Tuesday nights it is, it is a bit of a ritualistic night for me, and I don't mean that in any odd sense. I just mean that I watch <laughs> The Curse of Oak Island um, before I head into the studio for the program. It kind of changes my routine a little bit, but I, I really enjoy the show. But I have to say, I... I don't know. I, what are we in season six, season seven of that that program? And um, I'm starting to lose hope that they're going to find anything. Tonight's episode, I, I felt like uh, you know we just spun our wheels. And I know that a lot of people say that is the case uh, with a lot of the recent episodes of the program. But I, I just felt like tonight it was a lot of nothing. And um, I know I've seen some clips of some things that look like they make some major discoveries this season. I guess. We're probably going to have to wait until the uh, the season finale to see all the big stuff, right? Kind of the way it works on programs like that. Uh, another thing I happen to notice is that uh, the History Channel is also promoting a, a new program, and I know I won't get the name of it right, but something to do with pain, like House of Pain, something of pain, where they, where these two guys go around and let things bite them and sting them to see if they can handle the pain. I, I mean, reality television is one thing, but this is getting a lot of hand. What's the point of that? So we can watch them cringe? Maybe they have to go to the hospital? I I don't get it. <laughs> I guess I'm old-fashioned a little bit, but it seems a little strange to me. Now, uh, back when this program started, um, I don't know, three years ago or so, Jason and I were talking about uh, some of our favorite authors. And there's an English author who has been my favorite author since college, and his name is Michael Moorcock, and he is a science fiction fantasy writer. And his um, most famous work is a, a series of books known as the Elric, like Eric with an L in there, Elric Saga. Um, you know, it's typical fantasy, swords and sorcerers and all that kind of thing. Well, I just saw an announcement, and I hope this is true, that uh, that series of uh, books, that story, has been picked up for a, um, a limited TV series. Probably one of these, like... Uh, Probably one of these, um, you know, like uh, Netflix series. And, and in our chat room, somebody mentioned Hawkmoon. Yeah, I read that series, too. Great series of books. I think it's Hawkmoon, though. It's not Hawkwind, I think. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see see what they do with this. It's a, it's a pretty uh, monumental um, 
sci-fi fantasy series. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, first of all, how quickly it's developed into something that we can watch. And secondly, how uh, how good it is. And Michael Moorcock, one of the books that it's not a part of a series, it's a standalone book that um, he wrote that I really, really like is a book called Behold the Man. If you have an opportunity to find that book, it's a very short book, but it's a very powerful book. Behold the Man. I won't tell you any more about it. Great book. Anyway, so a lot of great stuff going on, and uh, we've got some great things happening here on the program. Please go to YouTube, find JV Johnson, and subscribe to that channel. We want your numbers there. We want you part of our chat room there. We want you to be able to access the archived content content and the bonus content, all available on the YouTube channel. Search for JV Johnson. And then um, find us on social media. Best place is Facebook. It's Beyond Reality Radio, and also look for JVJ Paranormal. Like both of those pages and uh, be part of our groups there as well. So we're going to go to break. When we come back, our first guest of the night, Mike Apicella, will be with us. And then a little bit later in the program, we'll be talking with Susan Plunkett. So a lot of great stuff coming up tonight on Beyond Reality Radio. We'll be right back. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark. Because you deserve to save too. Become a Shark and save. A couple of guests tonight. In the second part of the program, we've got Susan Plunkett joining us. Susan is a writer and a psychologist, and she's the author of a new book called Mission from Venus. We'll talk about ETs, wanderers, twin flames, and the fifth dimension. Now, Susan's book, Mission from Venus, is technically a fiction, a work of fiction. However, she says it was channeled to her and it was delivered to her by guides and extraterrestrials. So we'll find out what that is all about when we have Susan on. But in the first part of our program, we've got uh, a guest by the name of Mike Apicella. Mike is the founding member of a band called Human Host, which explores the connection between the material world and the metaphysical world with his music and his writing. Mike, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Great to have you here. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. So tell us what Human Host is. Tell us about the band. Well, uh, basically, the roots of Humanos go back to the 90s when I was involved with an art collective out in the suburbs of uh, Baltimore, just north of Baltimore. Uh, it was called Towson Glenarm. Those were the two towns that everyone lived in. And uh, we kind of did a lot of stuff where we, we just kind of felt like there wasn't anything really speaking to us musically back in the 1990s. That was really kind of a time of a resurgence of rock music, and we weren't really interested in rock. We were multimedia artists. You know, and we wanted to do something else. So we basically, from the ground up, had to create pretty much our own style of music. Uh, fast forward to the early 2000s, and, um, you know, for various reasons, mostly money, <laughs> uh, I got involved with a lot of genre music, more conventional, established genre music, and I spent a couple of years sort of laboring very unhappily in that kind of realm and just thinking a lot about uh, what we had accomplished with Dallas and Glenarm and how I wanted to sort of take that basically to the next level, and uh, that's really where Human Host comes into the picture. Um, Human Host formed in 2002, and, uh, you know, right from the beginning, everybody was very uh, interested in trying to make sure that that our work was something that spoke to concerns that um, were really outside of just the typical, uh, the, the material world, you know, the physical world. We were interested in things that are invisible, we still are, uh, things that cannot be seen, cannot be touched, things that are hard to believe in and hard to understand. These are the most important things uh, to me, you know, and to a lot of my collaborators. You know, uh, we, we really want people to understand that these things uh, are around, they're out there, and they illuminate people's lives in many wonderful ways. There's a real emotional connection, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, to um, to the unknown that we have uh, have found through human hosts. So, um, and, uh, so you know, yeah. some bands write about love. Some bands write about politics. Some do a combination of those things. You're telling me that you'd like to write more about the metaphysical, maybe the uh, unknown, the curious, the unseen. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. Yes. How Absolutely. many? How many members? How many members in the band? 
Well, you know, at the moment, uh, I'm on tour right now, and at the moment I am touring as a solo act. I've actually been doing that more often in the past three years, but when we started back in 2002, uh, the membership fluctuated anywhere between, you know, a, a solo, it would be a solo thing, or sometimes it would be as many as ten people. Okay, so uh, so is Human yeah. Host right now a solo act? Uh, no, actually, I do some collaborating on recordings with other people. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to get to the bottom as, of, of actually... As a, as a live act. As a live act, yes. It's okay. Up, yeah. So I guess my, my question, and what I was leading to here, and uh, if it's just you, then it's just you at this point, but um, are there any personal experiences that you draw from that helps you write about these topics, uh, perform about these topics, um, or understand these topics? Have you had any personal experiences? Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I wouldn't be interested in any of this if it didn't affect me personally. Um, you know, uh, I have to say, like, unlike probably a lot of the the other the other people who come on your, your your program, you know, like I'm not a paranormal expert, but yes, I have I've had experiences. Uh, you know uh, that that I have trouble explaining. You know, with with phenomena that I have trouble explaining, and I guess the biggest one probably would I would have to say happened when I was very young. Um, so. Basically, when I was 10 years old, uh, my father died. You know, he uh, was just a hard-drinking, greatest-generation guy. He had me when he was a little older, back in the 70s. Uh, he just died of uh, you know, heart disease complications mm. due to that. When he died, uh, you know, things were pretty rough between me and my mom. I won't go too deep into that, but the point is, we were arguing a lot. And um, we were arguing all the time, probably from the time I was 11 until... You know, I finally moved out of the house around the time when I was in my 20s. And, uh, you know, when our arguments would get very, very uh, extreme, when we were just screaming at each other, you know, really getting out of control, uh, we would actually have things, sort of pictures and decorations on the wall, you know, little, like, you know, what do you call it, interior design items, <laughs> you know, would, would just start falling off the walls, you know, and, and it was very startling and anytime that would happen we would both just immediately stop arguing like the the argument would just mm. cease you know and we'd have to go and pick up the stuff and clean up the mess and you know it never happened at any other time you know and my mother she swore you know that this was my father like uh how did you feel did you in, feel did you feel it was your father's presence I mean, I couldn't help but acknowledge the, the coincidental yeah. nature of it. You know, when me and my mom are having difficulties, all of a sudden something happens that makes us find some peace, you know. Um, it was so, very intense, and like I think especially when I was a teenager, uh, I didn't even like acknowledging of it. It was beyond like a scary thing. It was just like, <laughs> you know, I'm a teenager, I'm going crazy here, <laughs> like, you know, and now like somebody from beyond is messing with me. <laughs> You know, it was just, it was very, uh, it, those moments would be very intense, and they're very vivid in my mind. Sure, I and, bet uh, they are. I bet they are. Now, um, you've written something called The Everyday World of Demons. I'm assuming that doesn't have to do directly with your experiences with what you think may have been your father's presence. Where do the demons come into this? Well, you know, uh, the the demons, you, you know, writing something about specifically about demons was very important to me because the term demons, I think of all the different terms that, that people use to describe, you know, um, you know, unusual, unexplainable phenomenon, demons is one of the most universal. Because in, in my experience anyway, in my life, I've seen it to mean three different things. You've got demons who are from the Bible, you know, uh, the allies of Satan, you know, that Christians are, are scared right. of and see as, as right. their enemy. You've you got demons in fiction, in science fiction fantasy novels, who are just monsters, big scary monsters who eat people and breathe fire and do all this other stuff. And then you've got the demons of things like alcoholism and drug abuse and, and, and criminal compulsions and all this stuff, you know, things that, you know, somebody might call like, the demons of reality or something like that, you know, like... But to me, all of these things are real. They're all very, very real, and they all are definitely connected to one another. And I think because, you know, uh, you know because people experience, you know, demons in so many different parts of their lives, whether it's imaginary, real, daydreams in their faith, no matter what, you know, these things are, are very, very present to people, even if they're not knocking things off the wall or scaring people. You know, even if they're even if they're just completely silent, their presence is everywhere, and they've been around a really long time. And I felt like, especially in these contentious times that we live in, with with so many people just sort of 
at each other's throats about everything. Yeah. I, I, I kind of wanted, you know, you know, it was a serendipitous piece of writing is really what it was. At first, I didn't know what the heck it was about, but I've been living with it for a couple months now and reading it over and over, and it's becoming very clear that, you know, I want people to really approach demons as they'd approach anyone else and understand that this is a part of our everyday lives and that demons ultimately want to bring out the worst in people. That's like all the three different versions of demons I just explained. They share one thing. They want to bring out the worst. In people, they, and and when you have somebody like that around, someone who's just confrontational for the sake of being confrontational, you know you can't fight fire with fire. You've got to find a way to subvert their power, and and make them into either something that you can like and enjoy the company of, or at the very least, understand them as being something that's colorful and interesting that can illuminate your life in a, in a new way. You know, um, I don't know if you want me to explain further what I mean by illuminate. Um, well, I want to know uh, why you believe it's important that uh, we have this understanding. What? How do you think that benefits us? Well, um, the the best way, I, the best analogy I can give for all this is um, going to the by by referencing the Christian definition of demons. Now, you've often heard believers in God. By the way, let me also explain. I don't. I believe in a little bit of everything. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a pagan. Um, so let's just get that out of the way, first of all. <laughs> this is not a piece about worshiping the devil, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, so anyway, you've heard Christians talk about how they're often tempted by the devil or tempted by demons. Well, in that instance, demons help to strengthen the faith of the presumably good Christian who can resist their temptation. So right. what would the good Christian be without the demons around? You know, and I think there's plenty of other analogies and other, you know, realms that are have nothing to do with the Christian God, you know, that apply here. You know, um, basically, you know, we can't just be living our lives fighting all the time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, yes, demons are dangerous. Yes, they're scary. You know, but at the same time, they are everywhere. They have a different kind of power than we have, and we can't control them. And people shouldn't be sitting around constantly trying to control these things and fight these things that are so much more than human. We should learn to live with them. And, Mike, you'd mentioned things like alcoholism and other substance abuse. And many people believe that uh, that type of activity actually makes you much more susceptible to the influence of uh, demons. Um, do you believe that, or do you believe that the demons themselves are what might be responsible for that? Uh, I think that, you know, they, the demons are, are manifestations of, of those things. I, you know, it can really actually go either way. I guess what I mean is, yeah, you know, like the, when it comes to alcohol and, and drugs, you know, for the right person, you know, the right set of circumstances that can create, you know, a demon in and of itself. You know, uh, it's, it's just, it's unbelievable. I've seen it happen many times. I've known a lot of people, unfortunately, who went down that path, and you have a person who's, you know, completely logical, you know, sometimes people who are college-educated and, you know, really good in a lot of ways, and the minute they get a little bit of uh, a drug, you know, it can be a highly addictive drug, like, drug like heroin or or it can just be, you know, a couple beers, and all of a sudden, you know, they're turning into <laughs> turning into a monster, basically. It's a, kind of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing with that stuff. I do think, yes, I, I absolutely do think that, you know, the, the scourge of drug addiction and the scourge of alcoholism, these are products of something very, a very dark, very negative force in the world. It really unlocks that inside of certain kinds of people, yes. So we don't have much time left here. Tell us how people can, first of all, uh, read your work, The Everyday World of Demons, and get more information, maybe listen to Human Host. Yes, uh, so Human Host is on tour now, uh, and, um, you know, I'm, I always do something a little bit unique at every single show, always kind of changing up the material a little bit, a lot of improvisation involved. So concerts are always very unique, and uh, tomorrow I am playing at Shantytown Pub, in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, the day after that in Wilmington, North Carolina at the Juggling Gypsy Cafe. And you can read about all the tour dates up on humanhost.tumblr.com. That's uh, the main website for Human Host. And there's also humanhost.bandcamp.com where you can hear the music. And the newest Human Host album is called Special Moments with Muckle Flugga and the Crunk. And that's kind of what I'm touring for along with the everyday world of demons. So I'll have all those records for sale on tour and... um 
Special Moments, by the way, Special Moments with Michael Flug on, and the Cronk is available on uh, Spotify and iTunes and all that. And it's also available from the Sarah Laughs Records label uh, Bandcamp profile also. Uh, so that's probably like the best ways you can find us. But we're everywhere. I mean, YouTube, you know, uh, my, uh, Facebook, you know, all this kind of stuff. Pretty much anything that's social media we're on um, except for Instagram and TikTok and things like that. Mike, I appreciate your perspective, and I appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you. It's great to be on here. Susan Plunkett is the second guest for us tonight. The only thing about it is that we have to talk a little bit faster to get all the information in. Susan is a writer and a psychologist. She's in private practice in New York City, received her doctorate at the New School for Social Social Research in 1989. Her first book, When Every Breath Becomes a Prayer, reflects her interests in Jungian dream analysis and people who've had an experience of the numinous as a result of emotional pain. And tonight we're going to be talking about another book called Mission from Venus. Susan, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. So um, tell us a little bit about your professional path. How did you get to where you are? Well, you know, I don't even know how I became a psychologist. <laughs> because, I, you know, I didn't know what to do when I was young, so I just kept going to school. But later, you know, now that I'm mature, after being a psychologist for 30 years, I've got this new path, which is channeling this trilogy, uh, the first book of which is Mission from Venus. Um, and it's a biggest shock to me as anybody. In 2011, an intuitive told me that I was a channel and that I that there were books that were waiting to come through from this group of beings, but I was afraid, so I blocked it. And then in 2016, a different intuitive told me the same thing, and I was and I got angry because I, I can't do that. I have a family, I have a dog, I have two cats, I have patients. But then after a month of, like, not doing it, I sat down, and it just started pouring out of me. Um, And I love it. It's my favorite thing to do is to just channel the information that comes through me into a story because I, I am the kind of person who believes that we all have a purpose and... For 30 years, I thought my purpose was to be a psychologist, but it's really too elitist in many ways because you see so few people. And yes, you can help the people who come and the people who can afford to come, but it's not very many people over the course even of 30 years. It's still in the hundreds or a thousand maybe. But if you have a message or if you're given a message that might be of value to people, and you can put it in a book or talk about it on a show like this, then many more people can benefit. And since I have this gift, I'm happy to talk about it. We're going so, yeah, we're gonna we're going to get into Mission from Venus. We'll talk specifically about that in a few minutes, but I wanna know about the first book you wrote, When Every Breath Becomes a Prayer. Was that also channeled or was that something different? That was something different. Um, that was a result of some shocking things that happened in my own life that were just so upsetting to me. My daughter, when she was 16, was possessed by a dark entity. Oh, wow. And I took her to five psychologists, four psychiatrists. Nothing helped. Finally, I took her to a shaman who did a kind of exorcism. And so... Uh, At the same time that that happened, my then-husband was so terrified. He wasn't her father. He was her stepfather. He was was so terrified of this that he left us. So that, and at the same time that that happened, all these things happened at once, my sister got cancer, was walking around at Easter, and was dead July 1st of bladder cancer because they thought it was a bladder infection, but it was serious bladder cancer. So the loss of her suddenly and my husband abandoning us and my daughter having a possession, um, 
that kind of turned my world upside down. And I, it was all foretold to me in a dream because one night I sat up in bed and I woke up because I was standing on a platform in space. It was a basketball court with no walls and no sides. It was not no gym, just the floor, you know, where you could see where people stand for their free throw and, you know, the circles. And I looked out and I saw the Earth, that NASA photo, and suddenly it flipped upside down. And being a Jungian psychologist, I said, oh, wow, this is a heavy symbol. The Earth turned upside down. The world turned upside down. My world is going to turn upside down. So my unconscious warned me that something was coming, and I I didn't know what. Um, The basketball court made me think of my father because when he was younger, he was a professional basketball player, and he died shortly after the dream. And then, boom, 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 my sister got the cancer, my daughter got possessed, and my husband left. So my world really did flip upside down, and it was was an intense time. But people appeared, uh, the shaman for one, um, several intuitives, and where there really wasn't any help from my own profession, they couldn't touch this thing with my daughter, and no medication touched it, nothing, nothing. There were 20 types of medication, Um, nothing, and it was terrifying. So that book tells those interwoven stories. And I think the purpose of that book was to teach me how to write and also to wake me up to the fact that I should unlock this channel and write the books that they want to come through me, which they told me was a trilogy. And so that's how that happened. Just, and, uh, do you mind if I ask you just a little bit about uh, your daughter's possession in that, that situation? Yes. Yeah. What, yeah, what, what, can you tell us how you started to recognize that that was what was going on and what kind of behavior she was uh, demonstrating? Well, she, it was sudden, first of all. In January, she was in 11th grade and she got 100 on the New York State English Regents. In February, she dropped out of high school forever and never went back and she looked at me with one morning with eyes that weren't hers and a voice that wasn't hers and told me that I was going to be very sorry if I didn't cooperate, but it wasn't her voice. Oh, wow. And being a psychologist, I knew this wasn't an ordinary depression because that's not how the onset comes, or a psychosis. And also, I know my child, and this wasn't her. Um... I guess I should say that she is she is Mexican-American. She was born in Texas, so she's a, totally American, but um, her bloodline is Mayan Indian, and I didn't know what was possessing her, but I later found out from several intuitives that it was a dark shaman from her bloodline who had died, and she would have been next in line, and they wanted her body. This shaman didn't want to move on. His soul wanted her body. And what this good shaman that I consulted did got her soul back in her body. And for some time it was wobbling around in there. Now she's totally solid. Um, so that's, that's good, what yeah. it was. Do you I f- didn't know who, who was possessing her. I could feel the energy, yeah. but I didn't know. And that's what scared my husband so much. Now, you had all of these, what would be considered each individually uh, tragic and very trying circumstances enter your life at about the same time. And you wrote yeah. about you wrote about them in your first book. But do you think that those circumstances were occurring around you because you had this channeling capability? Or do you think those circumstances may have been what opened you to the, that, uh, that channeling uh, possibility? Um, well... They happened after the, the they those things all were happening 
after 2011 where I was already told that I was a channel, okay. but I was blocking it. So then these things happened. Yeah, but you were told you were a channel to by me to do it. You were told you were a channel by um, uh, what did you say? A, a, a mystic of some sort? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, somebody who had sent, and they could tell you where, but you had not been contacted yet by those who were to, no, who were to be channeled. No, I hadn't. I was yeah. blocking them. So I think probably these these incidents that happened were the catalysts that forced me to open up. You're right when you say, do you think that's why? I think they were all kind. And I think bigger than that, the ca- everything that happens to us in our life is a catalyst. I think that's a good point. That's a very valid point. Um, When you were told that you were a channel, uh, did it scare you? Did it frighten you? I mean, you you, you turned it off. I didn't know who was going to come through. Yeah. I I didn't know who would come through, so I I was actively trying to block that. Had you ever had any experiences, maybe as a child or growing up, um, that you look back at on now and think, aha, that's why that happened, because I had this channeling capability you know i i don't i can't think of any like that um but in adulthood more it's interesting that in my practice for 30 years i i knew when it was me thinking of an interpretation or an intervention and talking about it but i also knew that there was another entity or voice or wiser being sometimes dropping into my head to tell the person something. And it was a distinct thing, different from my own brain. So that had been happening for over 20 years, where some other presence who was very, very loving and wise was helping me to help people. There were intuitions, mm. and I knew that they weren't coming from my brain or psyche. But I, as a child, I'm not sure. I, I even sort of, I have to think about that. That's a good question. It's probably true, but I, I can't put my finger on it now. We have just about a minute before we have to go to break. When you finally decided that you were going to allow this this channeling to come through and you were going to be open to it and receptive to it. Did you immediately learn and, f- and recognize that it was maybe a benevolent force versus something you should have been scared of? I immediately knew that it was positive and benevolent. Yes. And did they, I, did, I felt them around me. Did they identify themselves right away to you? No, they didn't ever say their names, but I could feel their beingness and I could feel light around me, often blue light, like beautiful blue light, sometimes other colors of light. But I, and they seemed, they seemed more like ovals of light than actual human, you know, shaped beings. And were you seeing this in your mind's eye? I was feeling them to the right and left of my shoulders and over my shoulders and seeing it. And then I could see the the writing came in pictures. They would download things in pictures. And then I would write it. Interesting. Susan, um, you're a writer, you're a Jungian uh, psychologist, and I w- hesitated to say that word because it's, uh, it's a hard word to say, but Jungian has to do with Carl Jung, right? Tell us what that means. Exactly. It's, it has exactly to do with Carl Jung, who was um, a magnific- magnificent being. I consider him to be a wanderer. By that I mean I think he was a wanderer from a higher dimension who chose to incarnate on Earth to bring information and a message to human beings to help us to wake up and realize our own divinity and our own ability to do, to create miracles. Um, And even way before I was a psychologist, when I was a high school student, I was very interested in Jung and the tarot and I Ching, because Jung had been very interested in those things, too. He was also really interested in um, 
unidentified flying objects. So he he was a mystic, and so that was the type of psychology that I chose to go into because he had the most fascinating view of the unconscious and how it could help us, how through our dreams we could see around corners and into the future and understand things about ourselves, meet ourselves in a new way. Um, so, yes, Carl Jung, fascinating, fascinating figure and a great gift to humankind. And he had um, a near-death experience where he was out of his body for over a day and he was told to come back that his work wasn't finished. And then he lived another 20 years after that. And uh, I think it was the very last year of his life when he was in his high 80s that he was interviewed by the BBC and they were asking him about his relationship to the divine and his faith and what he believed, and he said, I don't believe, I know. Mm. Um, And I I always loved that he said that, that he had so much, you know, he so deeply believed in that we are not just, humans are not just the result of, of what hydrogen atoms can do given 14 billion years of cosmic evolution. We are so much more, you know, we are just, so much more than our borrowed atoms which come together and we use them while we have the body and then when we die our atoms just go back into the pool and some other life form gets them but our soul our spirit um, goes on forever hopefully evolving in an attempt to get back to source and Carl Jung isn't the only person that I believe to be a wanderer. I think there, well, I've been told that there are about 70 million wanderers on Earth now, incarnate on Earth now. Um, some past wanderers were Tesla, um, Buddha, Jesus, uh, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, bringing in the ideas of fraternity, brotherhood, all men created equal. Um, these are messages of the divine, that we are all one, and we are all equal. Even the sort of darkest, most deluded, selfish and greedy are on the road to evolution and back on their journey back to source. So we can't lose hope. We're just all at our own place on our journey. And that's Jungian psychology hopes to help people understand that, their own divinity. Jung believed that therapy wasn't over until the person actually realized their own divinity, that we all carry a spark of the divine. And that was very different from Freud, who had been his mentor for a time. He didn't have that view. He wasn't mystical. In fact, he, he, he didn't like the mystical. He wanted to keep it out of psychology. Mission, so, yes. yeah, Mission from Venus uh, is part of a trilogy. It's the first of the trilogy, uh, re- released right. rather recently, right? I think in October. Yeah, October twenty eighth. When when this was first, uh, when the channeling process first began for you, did you know it was going to be a trilogy? Yes, they told me it was going to be a trilogy. They told me it would be a trilogy. The first book is the sort of the setup, sort of it's where beings from all over the many, many universes are gathering on the planet Venus, not Venus as we know it with a surface temperature of 800 degrees, which is the third dimensional Venus, but simultaneously Venus is existing in all the dimensions, as is Earth. And so this book, the first book is set on Venus in the fifth dimension, and higher dimensional beings who are willing to incarnate, as did Jesus and Buddha and Benjamin Franklin and Tesla, are gathering on Venus to train for a mission to Earth where they will incarnate in the bodies of infants. And at the end of mission to Venus, that is the end where they're incarnating. They're being born. They're traveling the grid and and being born. They travel the light grid and get born here. And then book two um, 
they're 21 years old and they're beginning to wake up and everybody has to pass through the veil of forgetting. You, me, all your listeners. That's why we don't know where we came from and we don't know about our past lives. Well, some people do. Because we all pass through the veil of forgetting when we come into the third dimension on Earth. That's one of the laws governing Earth. Another law is that no one can intervene here. There's a quarantine around Earth ever since, according to the information I received, when Mars had a nuclear war and everyone died, those beings were brought in their light bodies to Earth, but they were thought to be too warlike, so they were genetically manipulated to be less warlike. And then the council responsible for this part of the solar system, well, responsible for our whole solar system, this part of the galaxy, said that that was wrong, that they shouldn't have been genetically manipulated because that was an interference and there wasn't supposed to have been interference on Earth because the idea was to see if beings could find their way back to source on their own and manipulating would interfere with that experiment or project, whatever, from because there were beings who volunteered for that project and first came to Earth when Earth was seeded, you know, it was seeded by many different groups. So, hence now, you can't help Earth unless you're invited or you incarnate here. So that's why wanderers choose to incarnate here to help us wake up and realize that we're all divine, we're all one. You, you've uh, talked about higher dimensional beings gathering on Venus uh, right. as, as the uh, a pivotal point in, in the book that we're talking about, Mission from Venus. Now, are these right. higher dimensional beings the wanderers? Are they the same? One yes, the same? once they come to Earth, they will be wanderers. They are volunteering to become wanderers, and they are getting trained. And, and that's how that book opens. You see all different types of beings, um, bipedal, tripedal, quadrupedal, some with skin and some with sensors, some with eyes. And in the course of their training, the masters of light who are training them ask them to all assume a bipedal form with um, two upper appendages and two pedals, two legs and and five digits on the end of each hand and some sort of oval with eyes so that they can get used to that form because that's the form that people, that beings wear on Earth. So during their training, they transform. They can, because in the higher dimensions, you can take any form you want because thoughts become reality in higher dimensions. And Susan, we were talking about wanderers. Uh, um, yeah. And we were talking about interdimensional beings. You're saying they're one and the same. Now, are they the channelers? Are they the beings that actually were channeling and have been channeling uh, this book and the others to you? They're, they, that may be partly coming from them, but I have the feeling that, you know, once, once higher dimensional beings incarnate on Earth, they don't know they're higher dimensional beings anymore. Like, you and I, we could be wanderers, and we aren't awakened yet. Um, so the, most of the beings that I think are channeling to me are disembodied, and they may never even have been human. They, they could even be from any galaxy, you know, other galaxies, a sombrero galaxy. Um, they, they don't feel, want, you know, like... I don't feel that it's other humans... Uh, channeling to me, even though they may be higher dimensional. Like, we don't even know who all these 70 million wanderers are. Right. It, could be, it could be people like you who have radio shows like this, and that's why you do it, because you want to bring this kind of information through. Um, Where did you get so that, that number, 70 million? Was that given to you, or is that... So, yeah, uh, that was given, that was in a download. The downloads come in two ways, either in my dreams... Or they just download in the night, and one of the psychics and intuitives 
actually, Anna Shulman also told me that I was supposed to do the writing in the morning because they download a lot in the night, and I can still feel them around me in the morning. So I always do write in the morning, and that is really the only time I write. I take the dog out for an hour, then I come home and write, do a little yoga, meditate, and then go to work in the afternoon and evening. Are these are these beings uh, that are channeling through you and and um, helping you or guiding you to write these stories, are they spiritual? Are they divine in some fashion? I think that they are. I think we all, you are, and I think your listeners, we all are divine. But they, they are probably more evolved than me, for sure, and they have information that I don't have that they want humans to have. And that's the message of Mission from Venus, Basically, the message is we are all one, we are all divine, we are all capable of great miracles, we are all the creators of our life. If you don't like the movie you're living in, rewrite it. That we all have much more power than we know. That love is a vibration, and, and the divine is a vibration inside of us. It's a resonance inside of us, and it's in all of us. And from that vibration, we can create everything, including matter. I mean, there are avatars like Sacha Sai Baba who can just manifest, like, right out of thin air. And apparently we could all do that if we could get in harmony with our highest vibration. I mean, it's a lot to... It is a lot. You're a divine being. Yeah, and I'm considering all this, and I'm trying to determine whether or not I think... And, and and you're the better one to answer this question. Is this process an education? Is that the intent? The book, you mean the books and what I'm channeling? I the think books it is are the, bo- the books are are a story. Uh, they're telling a story. However, are they trying to, at the same time to yes. educate us? Yes, and and they told me to make it into a story. They said, "Don't just write down facts. You know, don't just say, okay, there's 70 million wanderers.'" Uh, you're all higher dimensional beings, you know, you're all, love is the highest vibration, everything is love. Don't just tell these things. Make a story to illustrate how, what's really going on in, on the earth and in the universe. Make, it, make a story because it'll be more accessible to people and it should be a trilogy. As this and was maybe com- it'll be a movie one day. As this was coming to you, were you scratching your head? I mean, obviously, the yes, first first time you he- the first time you I hear was. this, the first time you hear this, you you, you know, do- doesn't necessarily all make sense right away. I'm I'm sure it takes a while to absorb it and put it all to- put all the pieces together. Were you going through that process as it was coming to you? I was, but somehow I was ready, I guess, to do it, and got very happy and excited. Like writing Mission from Venus was not a labor. It was a joy. It it wasn't like, I guess a lot of writers, or maybe writers who are just writing stories, they struggle, and, you know, they do this beautiful crafting. I mean, I crafted it later. After it was all written, I went back and tried to make the sentences more coherent and everything. But the story was just coming through. And the same with the second book, which I've just sent to the publisher. Um which is called The Wanderers on Earth. What happens to them once they get here? You know, here they come, and suddenly they're crammed into the body of a human infant, and they forgot who they were. I mean, the pieces they remember. But then they have to grow up and wake up. But at the same time that they're growing up, the Dark Lords from Orion are trying to kill them. The second book of the trilogy called Wanderers on Earth already submitted to the publisher? Is it that close? Yes, I gave it to him last week because when I gave him the first one, he said, people don't like to wait a long time, (laughs) you know, to find out what's going to happen to these people, you know, are going to be born. So I'm now working on the third book of the trilogy, but the publisher probably takes 10 months to put the second one out. Yeah, that's a bit of a process, I'm sure. So um, as these books are being channeled through you and you're writing them, uh, do you know now? How how they end? Uh, I mean, are you I already aware? I don't even know what the third book is about. Oh, wow. 
I do not, I am clueless. I've, I wrote the, I got what the first scene is because I saw a picture and I wrote that scene down. And that's all I've written on the third book so far because I was doing a final edit of the second one and then launching the first one. So I have no idea. I, maybe they're giving me a break, you know, like to launch this book. So I, have, I don't know what the third one's going to be about. I don't even know the title of it yet. When you um, talk about the dark side and the light side competing to bring humans and Earth onto their path. Exactly. What are we talking about there? And, um, you know, what does each side want with we humans and the Earth as a whole? Right. Well, the light side wants humans to have free will and to progress in enlightenment back towards Source and to know that they are divine. The dark side wants to enslave humans um, because you progress on the dark path by taking power over other people. And the more power you take over others, the further you progress. But it has been my understanding that you can only progress on the, dark, the path of the dark side up through the sixth dimension. And then you can't go any further on the dark path. You must make the leap to the light side. But... You can go. You can be a very, very advanced being on the dark side, because six-dimensional beings—I can't even imagine them um, as a third-dimensional being myself. But they're very powerful, and they want to enslave because that's how they progress. And we would—we humans think of that enslaving others as evil, but there is a purpose for evil because. How can we exercise free will if we don't have a choice to choose good or evil? Right. So there is that going on in each of us, um, the struggle for good and evil, and then there's the struggle going on in the universe. Ultimately, the higher up in the dimensions you go, I've been given to understand that the universe in the highest dimensions dwells in a state of timeless orgasm, timeless ecstasy. And even human orgasm can trigger contact with intelligent infinity, with this state of timeless orgasm. Just briefly, true, but nevertheless, it's the same feeling. And sex has quite a wonderful purpose in catapulting us into contact with the divine. And I think as you go up in each dimension, sex becomes a more and more joyous energy exchange. Like in our dimension, in the third dimension, the female transfers mental, emotional, and spiritual energy to inspire the male, and the male transfers physical energy and strength to the female. Without sex, the female can become stagnant, and the male fire keeps the woman from stagnation. And at the same time, men can become very edgy and angry without the contact with the feminine. And the female offers sort of cool water to calm the male, mm. and orgasm is the point of transfer. Even if only one person has the orgasm, the transfer will happen. But in the higher dimensions... Um, and as I understand it, I have not experienced this, but that it is the way in which one breathes which determines the dimension from which the energy one receives during sex comes. That there are certain esoteric ways of breathing. I think there's probably some tantric sex, even manuals around, which may know more about this than I do because they've only hinted, hinted at this to me that it, it has to do with breathing and certain types of breathing, hmm. that one can have a deeper orgasm really catapulting one right up through all the chakras, right up through the violet ray into contact with the divine. Let's, um, let's jump to our caller line. This is a okay. good friend of the program, TJ from Rhode Island. Hey, TJ, long time no talk. 
Oh, it has been a long time, and if I don't talk to you or your guests, both of you have a nice, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Just in case, if I don't see you, but I do have a question for you because it touches on the theme of non-interference that you addressed earlier. And my question deals with that theme I've heard in other interviews with other guests on other shows. And at one time, they mentioned specifically the Anunnaki, and I believe the question was posed to Billy Myers' playar. And they had said, well, getting back in response that the Anunnaki basically broke the rules and they are in a serious amount of trouble for having done that. And I'm wondering whether or not in any of your writings you have any mention of the Anunnaki and any interference by them, particularly in Earth. And I'm going to take the answer off the air in case anybody else wants to get through. Great call, TJ. Thank you for that wonderful question. Susan, are you familiar with the Anunnaki and is, yeah, does it enter your writing? I they're not in my book, but I have heard of them, not through information I channel, but I have heard of them. And it is true that because of the quarantine around Earth, and by the way, Earth is the only planet, um, not only in our galaxy, but in any galaxy that has a quarantine and that there is not supposed to be interference. And the Council of Nine, which I'm told operates... Um, out of Saturn's rings is supposed to monitor the Anunnaki and anybody who tries to interfere. And the Dark Lords of Orion, they are slipping through the quarantine to try to control humans. And a certain number of them will slip through, but they're not supposed to be doing that either. So we're supposed to be allowed to evolve back to source on our own without interference. And I don't know what 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 kind of trouble the Anunnaki, you know, what the penalty is or if it if it slows your own evolution, which would seem to be the only penalty that really would matter in the long game. But that's a very interesting question. Very interesting. And I yeah. will try to see if they, you know, sometimes I can ask them for information and sometimes I get it. Susan, when you finish the third in the trilogy, do you expect some type of uh, conscious evolution or spiritual evolution within yourself or maybe within everyone um, on the planet? I think we're all evolving all the time. And I think even despite the horrible situation in America right now with all the divisions, I think we are evolving at a very rapid rate, and I'm evolving along with everybody else. And I've, as I've been writing these books, I have felt myself lighten up, um, be more generous, more forgiving, more loving, more self-loving, um, less critical, less judgmental, um, more accepting, I guess that's the thing, more accepting. I mean, I've had, obviously, maybe not obviously, but a lot of therapy because that's just part of the training. When you become a psychologist, you, you have to go through your own therapy, and that was very helpful, but this has been more helpful. And I I don't expect any cosmic leap at the end of the trilogy. I expect just to write more books, maybe another trilogy, I think once the channel's open, as long as I live, I will hopefully keep writing um, and keep evolving. Maybe not a cosmic leap, but just like you and everybody else, we're just hoping to become more pure light, more pure love and acceptance of one another without judgment. Can you help us understand when you talk about fifth dimensional beings, what we're talking about? Um, you know, it's easy to understand three dimensions. When you get beyond three, you start to lose people. Can you help explain what yeah. that actually means? Um, well, what I mean by it in the books is that we have a third dimensional consciousness in our human bodies. Like, we, we can't remember the future. We can only remember the past. We're limited. We're limited by our belief systems. And we're limited 
we don't have all those extrinsic chakras open. Like we have access basically to the seven chakras around our body. A fifth dimensional being will have all the higher chakras also open so they can, by adjusting their vibration to the vibration of the place, say, for example, they're on Venus and they want to visit the Akashic Records in Saturn's rings. They, they just adjust their vibration to the vibration where the Akashic Records are and they are instantly there because they can operate the Merkaba around their body, which the Merkaba is a star tetrahedron, which is around all of our bodies. We all have a star tetrahedron around all of our bodies, which is two pyramids, one inverted into the other, the upward-facing one representing the masculine energy, the downward-facing one, the feminine energy, and they're rotating in counter-rotating fields. Um, The masculine one spinning clockwise, the feminine spinning counterclockwise. And this is a tremendous amount of energy. And conscious beings can operate their merkabas to travel. So, for example, they can do that. Fifth-dimensional beings can alter their form, be in any form that they want to be in. Um, They have access to all of the past and all of the future. They understand that there is no time. The time is something we agree to that we need. And I recently heard a very interesting explanation of this from by looking at uh, by reading a book by um, someone you may know or have heard of, Keith Blanchard. He channels his, some of his conversations with the divine, and he was told, like he was asking about time, and the information he got was that we need time. Because if we didn't have time, um, we would we would just simply get overwhelmed. Because time acts as a buffer, and if it weren't for this shock absorber of time, the fear in our heads couldn't handle all the events that would manifest immediately. If we actually saw that everything was happening at once, as physicists believe it is that there is no time, we would just explode. We just couldn't wrap our head around it. So for our benefit, we get to use this buffer of time. But fifth-dimensional beings don't have to live that way. They actually can handle it. And fourth-dimensional beings are in between third and fifth, and we are all moving because Earth is moving into the fourth dimension. The planet, the consciousness of Earth is moving, and, and many of us are moving toward fourth-dimensional consciousness which is a much broader, deeper consciousness where we will see beyond, we will, we will be able to remember the future as well as the past. And as Earth goes into the fourth dimension, all of those of us who can make the leap to the fourth dimension will be able to go on incarnating here. But those people who are not, have not evolved enough to hold enough light, they won't be able to incarnate on Earth when it's fourth dimensional. They'll have to go to another planet that's third dimensional. And there are other planets that are still in the third dimension. We have about a, we've got about just a minute left. Um, but one very, very important question is, these beings continue to channel through you and continue to uh, guide you to write these books you must have asked, who are you and why me? Have you gotten any answers yeah. to those questions? Yeah, I have asked them. And and that they and the most clear answer I've gotten was we know you. We know you before you came to Earth. We are old friends from a different dimension. We don't incarnate we've never incarnated on Earth. Um, we've been with you in other galaxies eons ago, and that's why we can channel to you. They've never been Earth, they've never been human, they've never had this kind of body, but they know me, and I apparently know them, and that's why I felt safe with them. But they haven't given me a name, any names, but I perceive them as, like, blue, 
light. So the book that's out now is called Mission from Venus. The next book is Wanderers on Earth. Right. Where can people... I'm sorry, go ahead. The third is what? And the third, I don't know. <laughs> Where can people find the books now, or at least the one that's out and the next uh, one will be it's, out at some point? It's on Amazon, and um, it's probably in other other places, but I should know. I should ask my publisher. Um, but definitely on Amazon. And your website, susanplunkett.com, is a great resource for people. Any other uh, spot you'd like folks to go to follow your work? No, that's that's great. I appreciate so much you're giving me this opportunity. It was really fun talking to you. Susan, thank you so much for your time. It was a great conversation. Best of luck with the books, and hopefully we can have you back on when the next book is released. Thanks. Thank you to Susan Plunkett for being with us. Also, thank you to the guest in our first segment, Mike Apicella, uh, both great guests. Susan Plunkett's website is her name, susanplunkett.com. And if you want to learn more about uh, Mike Apicella's work, you can go to the website humanhost.com dot tumblr dot com and tumblr has no e in it humanhost dot tumblr dot com for mike apicella's uh, band and more of his work so a lot of great stuff coming up on the program of course we thank you for being with us subscribe to the youtube channel it's just jv johnson on youtube find us on social media as well facebook is beyond reality radio and search for jvj paranormal like both of those pages follow us be part of the group we appreciate it and we'll see you tomorrow night Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.